0: Welcome back to World 1-1 Podcast, everybody. I am your host for the day, the Nordic Beast, Larry. I'm here with the Nestle Wonderball magic head himself, Eddie V. Uh,
1: My body is filled with Cocoa Puffs, and after this, uh, I'm going to go get cheeseburgers again. see,
0: you're filling yourself with chocolate. You are literally heading down the path.
1: (laughs) And the sad thing about it is, is that it's getting close to Valentine's, and then it'll be Easter.
0: You in the clearance aisle at the candy section. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, and with us, our special guest, uh, Danny Goffin of Jumpsuit Entertainment, creators of She Remembered Caterpillars. Yes, hi, hello, how's everyone? (laughs) Oh, this is Uh, awesome. We're glad to have you with us.
1: (sighs) Awesome. It's good to have these developer interviews. I like these. Um, Hearing the behind the scenes and everything. Um, So, uh, Daniel, introduce yourself of um, how like, how you got into games and probably uh, where you started at uh, with this game uh,
2: okay that, that that's a good um, it could be a long story I don't know um, I should say probably that for one thing I never really considered myself to be the person that would say Uh, I always wanted to make games. Uh, I was never... uh, I'm not the one that knew this when I was five and whatever played on a console by a friend uh, in a friend's house or whatever. But on the other hand, I uh, distinctly remember tinkering with games for quite a long while. I think the first one... uh, was um, a game for Max because that's what I've always had and it was called Escape Velocity by Ambrosia and I um, I played the game and I thought like how does this thing work and I opened up the uh, the app basically and looked inside and saw a lot of hex strings and of course the sprite sheets and, and I'm uh I, I was I was always the one that was drawing and uh making illustrations and things so I was like oh let's see what happens when i change the sprite sheets so uh I I never understood how the animations worked back then, but um, changing the interface was something that was a very immediate and interesting effect. So I changed it from a very metal, uh, computer sc- framed computer screens interface to something that was closer to a um, Matrix style, like very uh, LED thingy, I don't know. That was one of the first things that I remember with games and it's always been on and off something or other and um but never really started until
1: 2012 wow i mean were you doing a lot of pc gaming um as a kid during that time uh
2: not really as i said i've always had uh my family always had macs and i would get like hand hand down mac from my from my father's like you know it started basically in i don't know 1996 or something oh. and um, and so you know it's you know it's still a bit like it was back then today but you know today it's like okay most of the ga- you can play a lot of games on mac Yes. And especially nowadays with Unity, and you know, it's easy to put out your game for Mac, and and you don't really have to worry about it not working. I mean, it happens, but it's not <laughs> as di- difficult as it was to uh, to port a game. But in 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 the late '90s and uh, beginning of the 2000s, you. It, you'd be hard-pressed to find a good game like uh, basically blizzard were one of the very few triple a companies that would simultaneously release a game on mac and pc yes and on mac you'd get like these very very old, old crappy games so pc gaming yes a bit but it was mostly with you know um LAN parties with friends, and they like they their family would have like all the fancy PCs, and then they'd uh-huh. have like one machine that wasn't, uh, it, it was basically all the leftover scraps from like the almost like the discarded parts, the old parts. And then we, me and my brother, we would play on that one, and we'd play, I don't know, Counter Strike and uh, Diablo 2 and uh, stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I. But it was like uh, I could never play these games at home, so it was it was always a bit distant. But um, so as I said, like during um, university, I you know, I never studied games. I, I studied comics and illustration. And uh-huh. when you look at the ones that I've worked on in the past few years, so Cimitrain and uh, She Remembered Caterpillars it's very obvious it's a very distinct illustration comic style it's um, so that's quite visible there and, um, yeah, and I've done similar things earlier on but none none of these were uh, released to the public.
1: Well, so. it's interesting that you mentioned the art style because I was looking at the game and I believe your art style has never been done in in any kind of video games that I've ever saw. You know, you have sprite-based. You have, like, kind of a little bit clean 2D drawings. But your but the art style in She Remembers Caliputas is so detailed that the uh, only thing I could probably think of is a Boy in His remake that came out on Wii. Um, you uh-huh. kind of have that art style, but like your art style to me is kind of the first one. So I kind of call it like uh-huh. I, I want to say it's very historical because I believe this is like the, <laughs> the first art style that I don't know how to define it. Like, uh, like, like I know it's hand drawn, but I don't know like what kind to like how to describe it in a certain way. But I think, of course, it's completely beautiful. I just feel like it's never <laughs> been done. And I really like that about this game. Just like it, it feels original and fresh in its art style. And oh, sorry. <coughs>
0: I, well, to me, <laughs> I um, misswallowed. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> it, it aesthetically to me, I, I sat there and I looked and I went, "This is kind of like if Behemoth did something in a serious fashion." It, it has okay. that. That bold outline, that very, very vibrant color pop, well-defined aesthetically, you know, easy to understand, easy to digest. Yeah. Mm.
1: I mean, it's because it has a, a 70s vibe. Like, I don't... First of all, no reason the Beatles animation came to mind, but I'm just like, no. Okay. Uh, Oh, go, go ahead, Daniel.
2: No, um, it's interesting. Um... I have lots of inspirations for or that basically, you know, it's kind of like I look at a lot of things and and kind of study them, study them a bit closer and Mm -hmm. some I just look at once and I collect them. In usually nowadays in in little Tumblr blocks and Mm -hmm. um, it's they all end up i don't know they they're basically my head is like a little mixer, like a blender, and it's, it's looking like a lot of things, and then breathing out again, you have these illustrations and of course, there's things that have stayed with me longer than others, so yes. it's it's been compared a lot to um a French kind of illustration style, like mebius comics or um Ooh. maybe. Also, inspiration of Herge, uh Tintin Comics, but f- especially the beginning, it feels not, uh, and, and that's important, or well, not important, but um, it is inspired a bit by um, the Studio Ghibli movie, <clears throat> yeah. Nausicaa Valley of the Winds.
1: Yes. Okay. I love you there. your your number one interview. Because <laughs> I love
2: and- there's a lot of that. Um, the 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 sort of organic city zone. That's the second act of She Remembered Caterpillars is more something that I feel close to in terms of drawing buildings and interest in in architecture and um, so sort of just things grew together organically.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Okay, there we go, go ahead because I I had to mention the artwork because the artwork is just so beautiful. It's Just and now that you said Studio Ghibli, I'm like, oh my goodness, I I envision it now. Uh, uh, uh Nausicaa is one of is one of the uh Studio Ghibli movies I like. Because um, Spirit of the Way just knocked it out. Uh and when you see that movie in motion. It's in of yeah. the Way is so clear. And I was just watching it actually last month and I was just like, I, I love animation like this.
2: Yeah, yeah. I in animation's um a big inspiration for me and um I when I want to make visuals for games, mm-hmm. it usually is inspired not so much by games, by other games, but I'm looking at things that are not games. I'm looking at fine art sculptures. I'm looking at architecture, uh, photography. And um, in my spare time, like when I'm not working in the evening, either I'm watching movies with my wife or I'm reading books. I... I tend to read quite a lot, um, maybe like 15 books a year. Which oh, my is goodness. <laughs> and um, it's like one of another major inspiration for me. The things that I find it so fascinating, the things that happen in my head just by reading text, that is such an amazing power books have that I'm frequently – humbled sort of by that amazing power of text that I think drawing an Im- image mm-hmm. is such a blunt thing. It It is not in a way because, you know, uh, uh, if an image that shows you something that you maybe haven't ever seen in that way can create quite the same feeling of awe and inspiration. Yeah. But of course, you know, Drawing is for me a bit like writing. I'm very, I'm good at it. I feel confident with it. And I'm not so good with writing. I, I'm i not a person that considers itself a writer.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I, I don't consider myself very good with stories. And so, of course, whenever I read something that puts words together, someone that's written a story well, that i can follow i'm like wow how is this possible
1: <laughs> well sometimes you sometimes some like gay a little bit some gays now that you don't really uh understand the narrative you could tell mm-hmm. the story through its art style and you could mm-hmm. just let things flow like um like Hyperlight drifter um it, it, there's something there's just something about it that you probably don't understand the narrative, but if you look at the animation that's playing mm-hmm. along and everything, you could get a glimpse of what the story is about. So sometimes, yeah, yeah you might not be a, 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 a writer or anything, but your artwork still could tell the story and it could give the player what that story is about.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you know, that's, you know, uh, since you're mentioning it, um, we tried something with She Remembered Caterpillars that is, I feel, not very common with games. I mean, you you mentioned Hyper Light Drifter and a feeling of possibly not understanding the story or maybe being able to understand the story mm-hmm. in terms of combination with the images. So um, I had, while we were working on this, it was like, um sometimes in games I get the feeling a sort of that, okay, the game wants to give you a feeling of agency in, you know, there's a story you're playing and you're maybe the hero, and at the end you have fulfilled the prophecy because you are supposed to be the hero and you're supposed to fight the big evil bad guy. So um I thought, well... Great if we're doing something different there. And um, our writer Cassandra Call, um, she is from uh, Malaysia, and so she has quite a different background to to telling stories. And I thought we we um, together we came toward a story that, um, well, on one hand, you're sort of playing the story, playing through the story, but you don't really have an agency in it because it's something that's out of your hands. It is out of the hands of the person that uh, you're uh, following along in the story. You're sort of like a witness, but you don't, you don't really have very much power in, in terms of changing what has happened. It is a story about a scientist who tries to save her father from a degenerative disease and um, she's trying to cope with it. She's trying to save him by creating a medicine and that is essentially what you're playing. You're playing the medicine that is in his head, but it's like um, a medicine that is working. It's not like a, a remote controlled robot when you swallow uh penicillin or whatever mm-hmm. it 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 goes to the places where um basically it's let's say it's um it goes to a certain place in your body because that's where it's transported based on what it is and then it reacts with other molecules but it's not remote controlled in terms there's not one sitting there and controlling it and so that's why there's in this game sometimes a feeling of that it not it's not really chilling it's not really fitting together perfectly and all this is kind of intentional it's supposed to be edgy or, and not edgy in in the term of gritty but in in terms of something that maybe you stumble over or something that um, makes you want makes you stop and, and say what is this what is happening here
1: mm-hmm.
2: so that that's something that just came to my mind when you said mentioned um, story in ter- and in relationship to the images because we're not illustrating exactly what you're reading it's something that, you know, makes comics so interesting because you have an image and you have text and the combination of text and image, even though text and image are not necessarily related, create the bigger picture or the more interesting whole than what either could achieve alone. And that was sort of an inspiration of, to what we wanted to try.
0: Adrian, you know, left us uh, some questions here, because he's the one that's been playing for review for uh, for us. Um, I've also been playing through it, you know, as time allows. Yeah. We'll um, you. But in any case, I, I was, you know, and he was too, you know, where did the idea come from? And to expound on that, you know, was this something that was initially narrative-driven and there was a gameplay concept that came behind it? Or was this something the other way around where, you know maybe you had a just an artistic vision or a, a game idea in mind, uh-huh. and a story was built around it, or did this somehow somehow all come together in some beautiful serendipitous you know harmony <laughs> um, it was well
2: it, it sometimes didn 't feel like harmony, and sometimes it did, but I think that's game development in general uh this is a lot of hard work and fighting um the game started it was' it's basically the first idea was just simple mechanic based um the game developer um that's helping me or basically programmed everything and he's also the game designer, uh, david prima he is i got to know him. In late 2013, he was introduced to me by um, mutual friends and he had this idea about a game where you could mix colors and uh, Hmm. the visuals were just not very, very interesting. So we decided to work together and um, went on quite a long journey (laughs) because, I mean, it's it's 2017 now. And um, in in between starting to work on the aesthetic and everything, we are, were also looking for someone to write a story to, for the game. And it happened through our publisher, uh, Isbrut Games, that we got to know Cassandra because she's also working for that publisher as a PR person and business development. And because we were like, we need, we want some kind of story and it will make the game feel more whole, or at least that's what I felt like. And so I asked her, well, do you know someone that can write a story? And she went like, can I try? Like, yeah, sure. I trust you. And uh, and and, uh, she writes short stories and she writes books. She's published um, a few, um, uh, a lot of short stories and she's published two books already. And I love all of those. She's an amazing writer. And so, I thought, well, this would be great to have her on board. And she pitched a few ideas and that idea about resurrection or maybe trying to bring someone back to life kind of stuck and it drew organically from there Like we have basically we have a high level design document mostly concerning the mechanics but we've never really established something in terms of this is how the game will look at the start, and this is how it will look in the middle, and this is how it look looks at the end, and this is what uh, is supposed to happen with the story together. It kind of it was a lot of back and forth and testing what fits together, and Cassandra had written a lot of, a big part of the story, and it was mostly done, and then... While we were working on um, the game, her father died. And oh. um, so she ended up rewriting the story quite a bit in, in almost uh, autobiographical way. And at least it's a reflection on what she had to deal with emotionally um, during that time. That very much influenced the story, but there were other things, like, we quickly found out that we have a very, we can only fit a very limited quantity of text in the game. We we didn't want it to feel like a text-based game that is filled with puzzles, and we were a bit inspired by an approach like Monument Valley that leaves a lot of options or uh, open ends for thought. It's something that I quite enjoy if there's bits if there's like gaps in between where I can fill in my own thoughts and ideas of what is what the story tries to tell me, mm-hmm. it kind of honors my ability as a human to think. Like, I don't like to be spoon fed everything. Like, yeah, okay, I get it. Thanks. I rather like the, the gaps where it's like, I don't get this or what has happened. And then it, that drives my imagination. That drives, that honors my ability to think. Just like I said.
1: Because it, it, so, it, yeah. it feels like it opens up options on what could have been in that gap. Like, um, you don't yeah. have a complete explanation, like a, like a, just an automatic ex- explanation. Your mind is able to wander, like okay, maybe this would have this had happened, and then this is part of the story, or this may yeah. have happened, and this is the story. Okay,
2: yeah, yeah. So this is a very interesting thing because it, it seems to work quite well. when whenever we've watched someone play the game on on Twitch or, um or even YouTube, even just the demo, people were like, well, what is happening here? What is this? And what is this story about? And a lot of the interpretations are pretty close to what uh, we thought, think that the story is about or what, what, our, what the story is supposed to be about. But sometimes the interpretations go a bit into a different direction, and that's what I like. It's like, this is what, for me, doing something artistic, maybe in general terms of, you know, sound, music, story is about, you know, it's not like spoon feeding. It's not about telling you this is this and, you know, I don't know, drawing a tree and then writing tree under it. This is boring. This is not, this is not what, what makes us interesting or what, what creates an interesting story or an interesting image and that's why we like all the ma- fine art masters because there's more to the the image than just the plain illustrated sense of there's a ship in the water
0: or something i just want to jump in real quick and say yeah. on note of you know leaving some things to the imagination and not spoon feeding. Thank you for being somebody that does not treat your, your playing audience like an idiot. That is one of the biggest things for me. I love that fact that you did that, that, you know, here's a premise and I trust that you were intelligent enough to understand it and leave it at that. That's fantastic to me.
1: Well, Well, sometimes the problem is, is that definitely for some of us Americans here, um, comprehension and games varies on the player. Because there are some people who don't play games like She Remember Caliputas. Like, they are playing something like Grand Theft Auto or Final Fantasy and they want everything given to them and broken down. Where if they... No, but... oh, oh, go ahead.
2: No, it's just... It's, it's, uh, that, that, I mean, for me, that is perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. um When... We started working on the game. David had his... Basically already knew sort of what he wanted to do. And um we've made a lot of decisions that made sure that this is a niche game. You know, the story is not a standard monomyth story with yeah. the hero in the middle that overcomes a big obstacle. Um, the game... Design um, the way the levels progress. It's not like linear. David said, um, "Here's some, looked at what he could do with the mechanic and how he could develop it in by adding another variation on top." And said, "Like okay, you, we have an, the variation with, um, let's say, uh, the things that remove color from the character." and he'd explore that uh, mechanic uh, to the extent where he had the impression that's about everything that is worthwhile with this mechanic. So that's why sometimes you'll have an act with four uh, chapters, and then after that there's an act with seven chapters, because sometimes one mechanic would yield more results than the others so we think like we're not going to add fluff we're not going to add uh, five more levels just to stretch the thing uh along and make it you know bigger it's not we didn't want to bloat it and um i had similar decisions where said like i don't want the standard visual progression that you find in so many games like um you start in some kind of forest rural area Mm -hmm. okay you do that in that game too but um usually you from the forest you go to the uh valleys with uh, sweeping hills and then you come to the villages and then you come to the big city and then you go underground where there's lava and it's so cliche and I wanted to avoid that and it's a it's a story a lot about memories and sort of dream state where you know when you wake up in the morning and you think wow this make made so much sense when I dreamt it, but when I think back on what I can remember, it feels so stapled together, like, there's this one scene, and then you try to retell it, and then it's like, and then I was there, and then I was there, and you were like, how do these scenes fit together, they don't really do that, and all these so that's why you know you're you start in a forest but then suddenly you're high up in the air above skyscrapers and from these skyscrapers you go into a sort of uh, Art Nouveau crystal palace that's the sort of feeling that I wanted to create through the images so something that feels like a dream maybe a bit
0: if, if I could attempt to maybe kind of put a finer point on it it's almost like when you're dreaming and you know you're in a dream sequence you're in one place you're suddenly in another you don't know how you got there but you feel like you definitely traveled there you just can't remember the bridge from one to the other yeah and it feels natural that's sort of what i
2: what our aim was well like let's fit together things that if you were to look at them separately they might not Feel like you should mix them but once you do and you do it with intention and um skill it fits together and maybe there are some gaps but even these gaps are intentional and are wanted or um Sometimes things, you know, in 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 art, you see, when you're painting something in with just oil paints, some sometimes some things happen that you don't want it. You you never wanted them to be there on that painting. It's just you know a paint drip, and it's what you call a happy accident. But that happy accident creates something that makes the whole thing so much better and we tried to have these moments, these happy accidents. We had that unhappy accident with uh, Cassandra's father dying, something that none of us asked for, but it could be um, argued that it happened and we used the momentum it gave Cassandra and us to create something that felt honest for all of us.
1: That is kind of almost like um I don't know if you heard the game that Cancer Dragon Mhm. Oh, no, that Dragon Cancer, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um Larry not gave me that look uh, where um the father wrote created a game, you know, for it about, you know, with his son's death and everything like that. Um, and it, yeah. uh, I read it in Wired and just, you know, he was just talking about what he went through with his son and how that inspired him to make the game that he made and how people who played it, you know, really couldn't finish the game because they were so, it was so emotionally impactful. Um, yeah. And and like, even though, like, she remembered Calipitters, uh, is a puzzle game it feels like the story moments it still has an emotional thing if you read it and we i guess when you like some sometimes comprehend part of this uh text in it you would kind of visualize that wow like it's it's just not a story but there's something deeper to this like the meaning to the story is deeper like the puzzles are good the puzzles are there but this text and this story that is. Trying to showcase is that it's really deeper and you can see the inspiration um that came from the writer and from you guys
2: yeah yeah it's it's um let's say i i just you know they maybe goes back to what i feel like i want to be treated like when I or the things I look for Mm -hmm. that I like to consume Yeah, I don't like to be treated like an idiot and um, although I must say like some of the games I play I for example I love Borderlands and Borderlands 2 and it's like it's something that it likes a blunt humor and uh it's very comic style in in terms of the way the narrative develops and how the characters are and i like that too i can enjoy it it's like uh, i like superhero movies <laughs> <laughs> and um i'm like uh but i also like going to a museum and uh looking at weird sculptures that tickle some other uh part of my brain that um is not uh tickled by superheroes <laughs>
1: <laughs> like you you enjoy the creativity that is uh that you're seeing, and sometimes you might yeah. wonder where did this person get this creativity because it could be something that's completely bunker, something real crazy and weird, but you could just you could take a moment back and just be like. I I kind of want to know where he this person came from because it's it's a weird concept, but it's kind of cool, and it and it spells originality.
0: Yeah. yeah. To to that note, just you know, in, in terms of thinking of it artistically, she sure remembered caterpillar strikes me as something that's very abstract and yet cohesive at the same time, and those aren't two things you necessarily get together very often. Now it's um, it happened by it, a lot of these things happened by
2: chance, sort of, and was just as I said sometimes these things it's it's a collab it was quite a collaborative organic development. We had a development plan, we had a production schedule, and um, but you know the game originally was supposed to come out. I think maybe a year earlier, but things happen that delay the game. I mean, it happens with AAA just as much, and um, just keep on going, and you know, at, at some point you will reach that release, and and um, I think some of these. We just have to to, to to they were kind of like detours, but the detours helped us understand better what we were doing there.
1: Yeah, and and even in indie games, there's delays. Um, and for a lot no, of us, of course, and for a lot of us, I think we came to the point have come to the point where where there's a delay. It's, it's, it's a delay it's expected or you know not everything now is going to be day one with the release date you know look at Final yeah. Fantasy that got pushed Um Zelda's been, Breath of the Wilds that's been pushed um, Rhyme that you know that got yeah. uh that had a, a problem but it was still in development like there's like delays we expect to happen uh, whether it's good or bad because you want to release the product in a better state than what it already is um especially when us as like gamers we I tend to hate patches. I hate day one patches because definitely with Xbox One and PS4, I already got to spend close to an hour to install your game. Now I got to wait almost another 45 minutes to get your one-day patch. And it's just like, like you had seven delays of this game. Why are you still patching this? Like, this should be out the box, ready to go.
2: Yeah, I, I don't... I don't, I think, you know, in between, especially with consoles, as far as I understand, the process of uh, releasing something and then patching it, it takes quite a bit of time. It's Mm -hmm. like, you know, with Steam or even Itch.io or whatever, you know, it's quite easy. You have like... uh, you you submit the game, and uh, there's a review process for a playable state of the game, basically. And then um, after that, you can just patch the game and uh, very, very quickly, like several times a day. And you can't do that on consoles. So... Publishers on on consoles, they have to decide, okay, this is basically, this is our gold master. Now we're going to push it out into the public. And that all is a big orchestra of PR and everything. So they're very slow. They're like, you know, big behemoths and like they raise one foot and then it's boom, okay. And then they're like, okay, this is our goal. And it's like, boom, they're there. And then it's like, yeah, but the coders and everyone's like, okay, here's something we know is not working, but we'll have to push it out on day one because it's the process is so slow. And with a smaller game on Steam, you can like, oh, something is not working. Okay, we'll fix it, or we'll try to fix it, and it's like another half an hour, and it it can be fixed. So it can be it can
0: be
2: it can can be very quick and. It can be detrimental as well sometimes you know you you try to fix something and you break something else <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we are like we had similar things we like we released the game and then someone was like well did you realize that one of your levels can be uh, solved with four steps and we're like wow what this isn't supposed to be like that and we had we were like okay we need to fix this and then something else came up and then something else came up and so you know you can test a lot of things but there's no stress test like release when suddenly the game is in a lot of more hands than it ever was before and that's when sometimes a lot of bad things happen at the same time, and you have your coders staying up all night trying to fix things. And, um, but yeah, it's it's good to release something that works, and and have something that works well because, of course, it reflects it's positive. It gets you better better reviews than having something that's completely broken, like that Batman game, for example. <laughs>
1: We would not talk about that.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of uh, broken stuff, and uh, you know, I, I know you guys released on Steam at a, uh, a beautiful price point of twelve ninety nine, which is more than fair for the content provided here. Absolutely fantastic. But that being said, Steam's just announced uh, to to touch on some you know contemporary news here. Steam's just announced that they're doing away with the green light program and replacing it with something in order to hopefully enforce some better quality control standards, where potentially a developer or uh, you know publisher has to front x amount of dollars to get their game onto the store that can then be recouped to help prevent this massive influx of garbage that you know happened on Steam in the last you know year or two. Yeah. And I'm I'm kind of curious as to you know as as someone who's released on Steam, how you feel about that, and would something like that have you know been a, a hindrance or potentially a a showstopper for you guys getting out on Steam? Uh, well, we have
2: it wouldn't have been a showstopper for us because we have a publisher, so that and we have a good one. <laughs> They help us a lot uh, they've helped us a lot especially uh, uh financially or, or in that point they have helped us a lot but um in regard to that hurdle it, it be it green light or steam direct I think that's what they're calling it yeah I don't think it will change anything I mean look at the app store for uh for iOS. Um, in In order to develop a game or anything for iOS, you have to have a developer account, and that 's uh, about a hundred bucks a year and that hasn 't stopped anyone from publishing a lot of crap and I mean hundreds of things apps come out each day on for on on for ios and it's and steam is basically you you can't buy software there that is not games but basically steam is only known for games to most people and um adding a monetary hurdle and instead of one that's public vote i don't think it will change much um
1: uh, uh- I think it will because of um, – and I was just watching this show called The No. They was talking about it, yep. and they were just like – they was going year by year on how many games ended up on stream, Steam Greenlight. So, like, I guess the first year they started, it was like 100 games. And by the time it got, got to, like, 2017, it was like over 4,000 games. And a lot of people who were putting stuff on Steam Greenlight were um, – one of the big problems was the asset flip so they was buying assets and then just throwing it together and then throwing on know uh, uh, steam greenlight and want people to buy it and what steam greenlight was supposed to be doing is that even if they buy if they buy the game that developer is supposed to use that money to um to fix the game and make it better and uh uh The one people, the one developer who was suing Jim Sterling, um, that just went out. They 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 had to close the doors. You know they were they were asked to flip it, and they were using like different names to put almost the same games over. So they was like kind of asked to flip it, and uh, and there's even like trailers of games that's not even <laughs> that's not even supposed to be on Steam Greenlight. So I think yeah. What well, the thing is,
2: you know the the people that make money with that kind of stuff mm-hmm. you, you know it's what their approach is basically quality uh, quantity over quality it's just like uh, if if they're making money and if if steam or valve is offering to recoup the cost through um selling your product I the thing is the thing is it may change things in terms of like who has access to Steam because yes. you know some people don't have money at all but you could still try greenlight and maybe have something that's interesting and be voted into Steam and now maybe you don't have you know you you had to use open source software and you had to use maybe um, whatever you could do yourself. So maybe the game wasn't visually or uh, from in terms of sound or whatever all the best it could be if you were more skillful, but the in the end Greenlight was a very small hurdle and maybe you could publish some interesting things. And now, if you don't have money at all, there's no way you will get into Steam. But um, I think it it will not change much in terms of quality. I think there's a lot of people that they're like, oh well, then um, I'll just save. Or then there'll be maybe publishers. They're like, well, we will get, we will pay that for you, and then. Basically, the contract you're signing is: well, they will keep the money that they fronted um, through recouping, and maybe keep even an- another bigger chunk of the revenue share, and then you're still on there, and or people put crappy stuff onto Steam. Still, I I think it- it's you know the amount of games that is on Steam and the uh, the increase in games is. It has become more popular, making games has become more popular and more people are doing it and it's not only the the ease of entry into steam,
1: but I think it's gonna force the developers that they can't cookie cut now you can't you can't copy and mm. paste and throw a game together like you just can't throw it together, and the frame rate is only fifteen uh frames per second like all that stuff, I feel like, uh like you said, uh, quality over quantity, like that stuff has got to get cut out. And if they're going to go through publishers, publishers are not going to give them, if they give them some money and this is what they're going to give them. Uh, the publishers are not going to deal with them no more. You know, they'll the hopefully uh. the publishers will take the loss, but they're like, we're not gonna, we're not going to put this game. You just there's no way that you could say, oh, I made a game within two months and I'm ready to release. Uh. You know, and. Hopefully, well, hopefully the, the Steam Direct that they do put out some good games. Like, like, okay, if your game is a, is a Contra style game, um, if uh-huh. it, if it plays good and you still work on it cause you want to make it better and the publisher sees that and believes in that product, then those publishers are going to hold those developers to a contract. Um, and and if they mess that contract up it's going to be a big uh, probably court case financial mess
2: yeah i don't know i'm i doubt that i don't know there might be people that are just you know just putting out crap and and you know let's try if someone votes this through green light and mm. and green light was like basically in the end or now it's like you know you just wait and then it gets green light anyways like it, Regardless of how many votes you got, or at least that's the impression that I got. But I've never, you know, I've never had to face green light, so I never had to do any research how 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 well it works or how, you know, if it it was meant well, but it yeah. never really worked. It, it worked at the beginning when the conditions were harsher, but then again, it was never, as far as I know, the idea was. Always, that basically it's just a public vote, but then. But was it? I don't know. If the thing is, I mean, we'll we'll have to wait and see what happens. I don't. I think there's enough publishers like that. They they don't care about quality at all. They care about you know some some game companies. They that it's what you call shovelware. They make ten crappy games because they know that. Uh, out of those ten, one will recoup all the investment they have put in all of the ten. And uh, it, it's you know all those uh, crappy, shitty um, match three games or whatever. You know it's it's just reskinning, just reskinning. It's always the same mechanic, and it it doesn't add any quality. But um, they're just hoping that one of them catches a bit. A bit of fire and, and, and recoups the investment they don't care about, like narrative or uh, you just, you know, game mechanics. There's no copyright on game mechanics. You can just right. reskin something and say, Look, I did a game, I made a new game. And
1: Cause, cause you're
2: right to say so.
1: Wasn't they charging for the games on Greenstein Light? Like? like, you had to pay something to get that game? Because they were doing some, people were being charged for some of those games, or I think all of the games. I think
0: Uh, I, I don't know right My... they, they were and basically yeah. that the premise was that you bought this unfinished game that you can kind of toy around with and that the money that was coming in from that was going into finishing the game and then updating it on steam so that you eventually had a final finished product not this half-assed piece of garbage that you paid money for and but isn't don't... that early access basically
1: that was that was <laughs> what green steam like was
2: yeah okay but because, I mean, you still have Early again. Access. We and... had Dream Steamlight.
1: Oh, good. movie. Uh,
2: I mean, this it's the same with Early Access and people complaining about it. I mean, you know, you have positive examples like Darkest Dungeon, where you put out something that's visually very interesting, mechanic-wise and, and how mechanic and narrative interweave and everything. And it was interesting when when it came there as early access game and it was even better when it came out of early access and uh but it's you know i i go with a very worthwhile truism that 90% of everything is crap um it's it's difficult i mean quality is a lot of hard work yes. and um You know, I I have agonized over this game that I've made so much. I mean, just getting the game to work for colorblind without actually using filters, I've agonized over the colors of those backgrounds in relation to the the interactive parts, like the caterpillars and the characters. Like, you know, is this too dark? And now... you know, there's a there's a software color Oracle but, um, that you can use to simulate color blindness.
1: But can I say you something know, I, about? Can I say yeah. something about that? Thank God that yeah. you say that because you was thinking of other people who wanted to play this game who has that problem. You didn't just make a game to be like, oh, this is just to look beautiful, so now play. You actually thought. Um, about, you know, there's people who have colorblind, who are colorblind, who might actually love to, who might want to play this game. But because that colorblind part portion is a hint, I don't want to say hindrance or disability, but it's a problem. Um, you thought about that. So you, you I feel like you did your best or you, you probably got it. To work on a color scheme that was going to make people make them be able to see it and enjoy it the way that it was meant to be with the colors and stuff, so at least yeah. you at least you as a developer thought of that you don't really hear a lot of developers think about that
2: yeah i i mean um mm. i mean, it's it's just basically just to drive home the point that it's been a challenge, but it's also you know I know it adds quality to the game, but yes. It was a lot of work and I can I can sort of understand that some people like I want to make money. I don't wa- want to like it's basically Pareto principle. Like do 20% of the work and satisfy 80% of your customers and I sometimes feel like I did the reverse <laughs> <laughs> which which is good too. I care about quality I, t- I care about accessibility and all mm-hmm. those things and um to be honest the game doesn't sell very well if you go on uh, steam spy and look up She remembered caterpillars um the numbers are not good and I I can't tell you the exact numbers but um it's not all too far from the truth and uh, you know, in that moment, you think like, why did I actually put so much work into this? I, I know I did why I did it. And I got like, we got lots of recognition, like very, very high accolades, like IGF nomination. And so you mm. know why you did it. And you know, there are people that recognize the quality. And, but sometimes, you know, having... Money at the end of the day to feed your children. It's like sometimes you still doubt if you're doing it right, and then you look at someone that just reuses acids and reskins a mechanic and ends up with a lot of money. You're like, maybe they did something right, and I did something wrong.
1: <laughs> but but you know what? You could tell in games who has passion. For what they put into the game compared to one who's trying to make a quick buck. Like, when I look at She Remembers, She Remembers. We, she remembered Caterpillars? I'm getting a little tired yeah. wrong, so I do apologize. It's always
2: past tense. <laughs> I,
1: I could see, I could see the passion that went into the game from the story to the development yeah. that the mechanics and stuff from the, you know, we, we started all this conversation with the artwork because like you said, you, you have, you love reading, you love movies, uh, comic books, you know, the stuff that inspired you to do these things, to be creative. Like you had pat, you got passion in this this game and you see it through your artwork yet yeah, the reward might not be as what you expected or sometimes you think it should have been but sometimes you could just be like you know what whoever created this game and this artwork is a talented artist and i cannot Oof. wait to see Oof. i cannot wait to see future work because um I, I tell people um uh uh like there's a game called okami um, uh-huh. And that animation looks beautiful. And it was done by Clover, who is now platinum. And when I see when I see it, I'm like, I can't wait for more work coming from these guys. So, at yeah. you know, beautiful Joe one and two, it's just it's wonderful. And then see them transition yeah. to platinum, um, playing Bayonetta two and seeing more work, vanquished and stuff like that. It's just like you guys are are people who have a passion for what you do, and I can't wait to see what more stuff come out of it because most people might not support it, but I am a person that's going to support it. I even do that for oh, way yeah, Like I'd even do that for way Ford, that, you know, they're kind of a second party or independent company in a way. But they their their passion for video games means so much to me.
0: Yeah. For the record, before we go a whole lot further, on the back of something you mentioned, I wanna stop and applaud you for doing something other than just making a game to appeal to the lowest common denominator because there's enough of that crap out there. Yes. I want to see more like you that actually have a vision and want to make a game that has some depth, has some meaning, and you know may not appeal to everybody, but for those that it does, it means yeah. that much more to them. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah.
1: It's, the, it's the Atlas effect. Uh, because when Atlas first started all their games were niche like wasn't nobody playing Persona or Shin Megami Tensei it didn't take to what Persona 3 for that for Atlas to get recognized but see Atlas continued to put out games and people were buying them to the point where if you don't get an Atlas game at the day of launch like if you don't, if Best Buy don't only have two copies, if you don't get it now you won't get it at all
2: (laughs) yeah I mean that, that's that if you if you can do that if you can work with like scarcity in that way
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: that's that's great I mean I think the time for for physical scarcity for games it's pretty much over if you're doing that it's almost like an art project in itself and it most people will be like uh, why <laughs> and um, I think it's a, it, it had it, if you would do something like that nowadays you'd have to put a lot of thought into it why you choose to do it that way and then even make it appealing instead of like it's just just a gimmick because that's what it will look like most of the time and um but it's i mean it's it's great if 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 you maybe uh, Ten years ago or twenty years ago, if you were in in the position to do something like that, and then nowadays have something where you don't have to do it anymore, but people you've just basically that way established a fan base because be, just because of scarcities. Mm-hmm. It's it's nice thing. I mean that's that's why um, nowadays you have merchandise that's limited runs. I we've done we've done the same. And we haven't been successful with it, but um, I made uh, metal a lapel pin for Pax East uh, two thousand sixteen, and um, I still have most of them because I I'm not a salesperson, and I'm especially with a lot of people around me, like a convention floor. I, I I'm a bit shy. I don't like. To like walk up to that person next to me, like, hey, you are wearing a lot of label pins. Would you like to buy mine? <laughs> I'm like, I don't you know. I don't want
0: to, to talk. To ball pin from you. <laughs> can you tell me right now what I need to pay you, so I can like PayPal it to you and have you send me one of those. I really haven't figured out the right <laughs> price point. <laughs> But the thing is here's the
2: thing what I will do is like it's my plan because I still have so many of them um I will put up um on our itch.io page with uh, she remembered caterpillars there will be basically kind of like what Kickstarter does like rewards but they'll be just supporter uh, packages where you can buy buy a pin and or buy a pin and a t-shirt and something like that and um I'll probably put it up I don't know, this year or something. I, I don't it depends on how well the game does and what else I have to look for in order to earn some money. Because that's not like the nicest thing right now, like having to look for a job because the game doesn't sell. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. I mean, you know, I expected that to happen. But well, yeah, I I want to do merchandise because the game kind of offers itself for it with the characters and everything. And it helps so I I uh, think it helps people keep an eye
1: out. Yeah, I think it helps people notice what the game is. Like you know, you're expanding the marketing so people can understand, like, oh, this is a pen. I'm like, I wonder where it comes from. Oh, it comes from a video game? Oh, it looks like this. You could do this. Oh, this artwork, this story is interesting. You know what? Where can I find it at? Oh, it's on Steam? Let me download it. Be like, yeah, that's yeah. cool. So, like, the marketing can expand and it can help. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we have some, we have some ideas uh, concerning the marketing. We want to expand a bit on, on, on the story and the universe of the, of the game, possibly maybe create a comic book relating to it. But it's all um, it's all mostly ideas and not all too many sketches yet.
0: <laughs> well, that, that brings me to kind of the last question that I had that I wanted to touch yeah. with you. Um, what are the, what are the future plans for, for you, for She Remembered Caterpillars? Does this, you know, eventually see the light of day on other platforms like mobile or, uh, XBLA or PSN or, uh, the switch are, you know, is the, is the next focus? Do we see some DLC with some new puzzles? Um, or, you know, is it a, a whole new game, a whole new project altogether? Which I just had a totally random thought go through my head, given <laughs> this is you know a game about this medicine trying to go in and combat this disease, you know, and it's she remembered caterpillars. I'm sitting here thinking of a DLC campaign where you can play as the disease trying to fight the medicine, and it's called she <laughs> Remembered Cannibals. <laughs> yeah, that
2: uh, kind of reskin the game. <laughs> um, I um well plans are we're definitely going to um release it on uh, for tablets like iOS and possibly Android but we're working on on a, on a mobile version currently oh nice and um because you know the controls are so simple it lends it very, very well to any touch based device okay. um it will be. I think it won't be very enjoyable on on a phone because most phones' screens are too small. Yeah, it may. You know, something like um, iPhone Plus might work, but I'm not sure. It's not. I, I don't think that it, it would be very enjoyable. But uh, anything bigger than an uh, iPad Mini works we we test that and basically even the the size of the characters in relation to the backgrounds it's already we kind of thought ahead there that it would and tested it that it would potentially work on tablets at, uh, after a certain size and um, that's going to happen um, consoles p- probably not very soon, the game has a very um idiosyncratic hex grid as a base and that is it feels weird playing it with a controller. It doesn't feel very natural. and
1: you said that it was but it's built on a Unity engine, right? Yeah. Oh. We
2: could we could you know, we we the uh it's not so much a question of where we can release it it's mostly like a question of where does it make the most sense switch. so
1: it, it, it yes the, like, like switch because it has the i mean because it, it has a tablet kind of design so if you guys are going mobile it still have that design and it is the system is touch based. So yeah, you can exactly. still, like, like use your fingers and stuff. So, like, trust me, I think you would probably get more recognition on Switch, deep, you know, with the hype and everything. And let's just say mm. it comes, like, maybe next year or later down the road and stuff. And if, if Nintendo allows you guys to do, like, a demo level for you to try on the eShop and stuff like that, I think a lot of people will be interested in trying it and be like, okay, stuff works on here. And you know maybe you might have to charge fourteen ninety like like three dollars more and stuff, uh, because of it being on the Switch and stuff. I think people will be interested. Like I would play it on Switch. Like I, could...
2: I would. I would like to try it for for the Switch. Like when I heard that it's going to have uh, like a, a touch based screen. Like when basically the first announcement trailer came out, I was like, oh this is, this is really interesting. Um, oh
1: my goodness! Multiplayer. Uh, she remembers caterpillars. <laughs> DLC.
2: Um, yeah. Well, <laughs> we had we had some ideas, but we're probably not going to put out DLC uh-huh. anytime soon because um, developing mechanics that felt meaningful for us, or especially meaningful to David was already a lot of work and he's like, uh, he he said like there, we still have some ideas for what might work. Like for example, we sometimes talked about a cable where you could like, um, uh, something like you can remove the color from a character and then, uh, the cable or the hose carries the color of that character to a bridge and then recolors the bridge. But, it gets increasingly complicated to make meaningful levels that are actually a challenge uh-huh. and are uh, enjoyable to play. And that's of... why, it... why we said, like, well, let's maybe not do DLC,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, just merchandise and other platforms and then work on something new and maybe we will do it, but it's not, like, our main focus at the moment.
1: Have you checked out the game The Blob?
2: Um, no, okay. I'm not sure.
1: Um, if if uh, I don't know if you have if you have, if anyone has a Wii, I don't know if it's even available on uh Mac or PC. Um, but if if you have YouTube and it's available to check out, check out The Blob because the The Blob and The Blob Two deals with color, and right. um, you have to kind of. Uh mix colors get it to one color to paint sections it's a it's kind of a like almost a puzzle platform um but it's mm-hmm. but your guys your uh buff gang she remember the caterpillars and the blob are kind of separate. you guys have the same idea that deals with colors, but the execution is different um yeah yeah. So uh, I think you should check out the Bob. Uh, just watch a little bit of it, a uh, playthrough or something, and you might be like, "Oh, okay, that that's kind of cool." Because uh, I it's one of my favorite games. Um, I right. I normally talk about uh, colors and color and games uh, in March because of spring and stuff. And I think she remember is It's definitely gonna get a mention. Like it, it I think it's gonna get a, a a discussion. I should say definitely in March.
2: Okay okay cool um yeah i i don't know like the whole puzzle design thing that's very much david's part Mm -hmm. um it's basically like i explicitly trust him with the the puzzle design like he would we basically set up the game in a way where he sets up the puzzle and then sends me the whole level in terms of how it will be set up as a puzzle. And then I paint the backgrounds to that.
1: Hmm. And
2: I, um, I, I, I tested the levels, but, um, it, for me, it was always like were, there was a very, both of us were very focused on the jobs that we chose basically because you know i would just um painting the backgrounds was so much work that i was it was very good to have someone that we can say like okay i trust you with the code and the puzzles and all that so i don't have to think about it because i have these big other tasks the backgrounds and everything that uh i can I don't. It would be too much work to do all that at once. Okay. So so if if uh, you know if I have the impression or if we get the impression that there's a lot of demand for a DLC, we will definitely think about it. But it's, if people enjoy the game as a whole and in the way the narrative is set up, and there's not that much demand. We will say like, okay, this is what it is. It is that project, and we we are definitely not above about um, giving fans something when they they ask for it. If, if you know, some we had people early on. They were like, can I have a background for for my computer as a background screen and it's like well yeah sure here's here's a screenshot in the highest resolution i can give you know i could basically render the whole game at 8 k 8K, 8k resolution if i wanted to um it would make the game unplayably huge <laughs> <laughs> yeah but, um it would work you know but if someone had a very high re- resolution screen and wanted the background it could I could provide like we might uh, make you know um, some kind of print where you could order a print uh, that you can frame and put up in your living room things like that it's it's a bit easier and uh, I mean it's basically just recycling the game in terms of merchandise that's easier than expanding the game it's it's a lot of work and you know game development at that. Point is like everything you add is still game development and it's a lot of a lot of work a lot of going back and forth and then sometimes just doing merchandise is very nice <laughs> it's a bit easier
0: feels like so um is there anything kind of end note that you want to put out there that we haven't touched on yet um, no,
2: not really. I, you know, but you, you asked also about like possible future projects and we don't know. We, there was a certain time during development where me and David met every week and we sat down in the kitchen for breakfast and talked about possible ideas and I have ideas and he has ideas and, um, we're not sure which of these are good ones because uh, sometimes you know you can have a lot of good ideas but you have to stick with one and then see it through to the end and that sort of what happened that, that's what happened with She Remembered Caterpillars. we stuck to that idea and it's like I want to make this uh, I want to finish this as a game and then we went through all the hard work of doing that now we're unsure what to do next we have as I said, we have ideas. I don't know. It depends also a lot of, like how well the game does. If it does well on mobile and earns enough so that we can work full-time on something new, it'll be great. But if the game doesn't sell well, we'll have to look for other opportunities. And that usually means maybe no new game from us to... at all.
1: Oh,
2: no. It, I mean, in terms of jumpsuit entertainment, oh. it... You know, David might go on on a, you know, his career is just beginning. It's his first game ever, or his first published game ever. And it's my second game, but um, I'm already a bit older than David. So, but, you know, I, I might work for someone else and make a cool game and maybe get to see something about how the game will be presented and everything uh,
1: well, we'll <laughs> I, I ask you, that actually is one of the odd questions. Uh, what's your favorite cereal to eat? Or my
2: favorite cereal in terms of something you know because um uh that's a long time ago that I ate something uh, like a branded cereal. I love cereal or you know the the German the Swiss muesli thing. Um I like um oatmeal.
1: Really? Oatmeal is cool.
2: Yeah, oatmeal or porridge, like, but more the sweet variation. Ah. Uh, I like to make porridge myself with fennel seeds and anise seed and cardamom, and you know, ground it fresh, the the, the spices, oh, and he- with a with ginger, and you know, cook it up a bit, and then add add the oatmeal. It's really great, and some fresh fruit on top, maybe rice milk instead of normal milk i can really recommend that (laughs) there you go recipe
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, a couple of years i think like 2008 i actually came to germany and uh i don't know what port what part i was in but it reminded me of california for some unknown reason i'm like oh like there's some beautiful parts in germany
2: yeah there are there are indeed uh so, it's uh, very, very different depending on where
0: you are. Uh, so, Daniel, I've I've got one last question, and before yes, I ask this, I have to set this up because we are we are not a, a video podcast. This is audio only. So, to the three people listening, <laughs> yes, I'll forever make that joke. I don't care if we finally get four. Um, but Daniel's Skype picture has him wearing this. Phenomenal hat that's just this <laughs> fluffy, fuzzy white thing <laughs> with like a black visor surrounded in a green frame, and it looks ridiculously awesome. And my last question is, where on God's green earth can I get that hat? That's fucking fantastic. I uh,
2: it's something I found in in my wife's closet. She has a lot of things from her grandmother. It's basically just a fur hat for women. And uh, the whole story is I just pulled it way over my head so I would, couldn't see anything. And then I have these – the visor is basically sunglasses,
1: oh my like goodness. toys
2: and glasses. And I put them where roughly my eyes would be and I uh, and uh, made a selfie without knowing if where actually my face is sort of. And I tried multiple times until I got a picture that was satisfying. (laughs) It's like what you see there is like I'm I'm literally blind. I don't know what I'm doing there. I I mean, I knew knew what I was doing, but I couldn't
0: see it. That cat is one hundred percent satisfied. Yes,
1: like (laughs) like this picture rocks. Like it's so fantastic. I was just I kept looking at it, it just like. Oh my goodness, that that hat is so it's so it's so Daft Punk in a way, but it's just, it's, <laughs> it's, it's it so is. cool. I love that. Yeah, I was I was techno DJ for a while. <gasps> wait, what? Wait, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> okay, because uh, cause, um, there's a place called Chicago here in America, uh, in Illinois, and we're known for house music, uh, so deep yeah. house, um, ghetto house, like different different kind of house music. And when you mentioned techno music, like all through the nineties going up through high, uh, high school, house music was my thing and it still is my thing. And so, yeah. uh, like when you said that, it just makes me happy. Like I'm, I'm so excited. Yay. <laughs> I'm like, I, I got a person who loves art, and who appreciate art and is a phenomenal artist and he's a technical DJ, technical, yeah. a techno <laughs> DJ. I'm sorry. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that was during university time. We had a uh, that was it was basically a DJ team it was three of us and mm-hmm. we had our group or you know, our team was called uh, Woman with Muscles. Or, I mean in German it was Frau mit Muskeln. And um, we oh. had like the the wildest uh, house and, and techno parties at art school. It's like I don't know, kind of, it was great.
1: Uh, had you played? Have you seen Res or have you heard of Res?
2: uh yeah i i've heard of it
1: yeah oh i think you would like rest Uh, not not so much probably playing it but like seeing it or um uh what's the luminity uh luminaries uh yeah luminaries like games like that um from uh i forgot his name me i want to say miyazaki but um uh like uh the person who made rest he's into like heavy like putting music into his games and so he has that technical dj house kind of vibe to him and he's always made his games about the music and then put everything else about it and he has fantastic music
0: chime one to check out too yeah which one i mean uh, which one chime
2: uh try but yeah, okay oh yeah um i'm not so much into music games for some reason i mean i i um it's a, I feel like it's a very difficult genre in in i mean it's hugely popular mm-hmm. with rock band and everything but um it feels difficult for me to do if if i'm i'm thinking about like music games in terms of making if i potentially make one myself um i always feel like it becomes so repetitive like i love music and i love but it, it, i end up turning off the music in games quite a lot mm. because it becomes so annoying like uh especially if it's sometimes if it's algorithm driven oh. like well, you, you, you're playing. Let's say you're playing in a uh, first-person shooter, and um, there's a bunch of enemies coming up, and then suddenly the music changes to tell you that there's a bunch of enemies coming up. It's you know, it's basically just a sound effect, kind of like interface design on oral uh, level. <laughs> and um, it gets so boring because the music is always the same, and you're like, I know there's a lot of enemies coming up. You don't have to tell it with with the music yeah. you know and then as soon as you shot the last guy the music goes back to da. everything's nice and you're like okay this is stupid well
1: i well i think with, with rest is that um well, the game the music affects the gameplay but in a sense that you're able to look if if you're a person like you can appreciate the visuals and the music so it does two different things but it yeah. uses each other in a in a good way uh, as a good mechanic. So I, I mean I understand what you're, what you're talking about playing like a uh, uh, first person shooter, but Rez is. It's like something it's like very different about that that Yeah, yeah.
2: It's uh, it's something different. That's yeah. true.
1: And even if you even if you don't see a video or play it, I think you might enjoy the music if you're sti- I don't know if you're selling yeah. it to tech more or anything like that. Or uh it uh you know, make you remember the old days when you was DJing house music and stuff <laughs> or techno. Yeah, like
2: I still listen to a lot of electronic music actually. Yeah.
1: And you know I think you could probably appreciate it, because uh, I keep telling people streets of race two has still to this very day one of the best techno style uh, soundtracks of video games.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I need to. I I've, I I know about it, but the with like having a family and mm-hmm. game development full time at least the last few years, I haven't had time to play games very much. It was you- just like you know.
1: And you know what? That's completely understandable. Just go on YouTube. If you're able to go on YouTube and listen to it and watch yeah. it, that's good enough.
2: Yeah. Yeah, 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 it is. That's true. Yeah, I thought some. about Thumper. That was I I think a recent music game, sort of. Which one? Thumper?
1: Oh yeah. You
2: know, I mean that's a very different sort of music. I mean it's it's more industrial and and, and more uh threatening but uh, there's a very um, very music based approach to it in terms of what you have to do uh, relating to mechanic and sound so and um, just came to my mind that that's maybe also an interesting game in terms of that
0: well um, yeah just to kind of wrap here uh, Daniel anything you want to pimp where can we find you? Uh, we you can find me on Twitter, most of the time
2: Daniel Goffin. Uh, but you can find me on on Facebook. Uh, you just have to add art at the end Daniel Goffin Art. Um, basically, just use my name as a search term, and you might be able to find me. <laughs> Pretty
1: much. <laughs> and you guys can find she remembered Caterpillar's On Sting for twelve ninety nine. Correct.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: that's true. So guys, do go out and support the support the game. It's beautiful artwork. It's about 48 levels I think, like 8 worlds. Um not 48. Like 8 worlds 48x. Oh 40 40 levels. It's exactly 40 levels. Okay, 40 levels. So, I mean, it's a pretty long game. I mean, you'll have to think about it, but you'll feel good solving the puzzles. Um, It tells yeah. a wonderful story. Uh, you guys should definitely go check it out. Support the guys at uh, Jumpsuit Entertainment there. Um, Daniel and his team, they made a wonderful, wonderful game.
2: Awesome. Well, thanks for having me on the podcast. Really enjoyed
0: it. Well, Thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. And, you know, we, we look forward to, you know, hopefully seeing you back in, in future ventures. Yes, I I am looking forward to the future as well. <laughs>
1: well you guys can find um world one one podcast on ShoutEngine.com, s h o u-t e n g i n e.com you can email the show at world one one podcast at gmail.com you can find me um Eddie v at on twitter at that retro code you also can find my other podcast optional opinion on soundcloud itunes google play um you can find this podcast like i said on shoutengine.com we are now on itunes so just look up world World One One Podcast. Um, And you can follow us on Twitter at World One, World One underscore One Podcast. Um, Larry, anything else did I forget?
0: No, I think you hit it all. The only thing is if you like the show and, uh, you know, we we appreciate it. If you you throw us a review on iTunes, be it just, you know, a nice little star review or, uh, you know, want to write something in. uh, All that's appreciated. Helps us get noticed and helps us grow a little more. Um join us yeah. on the
1: Facebook page also at World One One Podcast Forum, I believe.
0: Uh, yep. That yep. like the Facebook page if you want the content in your feed. Join the conversation in the forum, all that fun stuff. Uh keep your eyes peeled to the Facebook page where uh you know any good stuff, any news comes about. We uh we put it out there and share it with you. That's it. That's the show, boys and girls. And Daniel,
1: can you end our yeah. uh, can you end our show by saying something German? Like, thanks for listening to World One One Podcast. Can you say that <laughs> like in German? <laughs> yeah,
2: sure. Um, vielen Dank fürs Zuhören von World One One Podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <For> National folks.
1: <laughs> and with that, everybody, we will check you out next time. Bye.
0: Yeah.
1: Bye.
2: Bye. Bye. Good night.